0: I am excited to be here, and I have to remember to set my timer, because when I don't, I mean, none of us have any clue how long I'll be up here talking. Um, so it's helpful for me to, to set my timer, and I guess I should probably move this to this side. It makes the, the ladies with the camera irritated when I do that. But anyway, my, for those of you who don't know, I'm Rick George. I'm the administrative pastor here, and I'm excited to have this opportunity. And there may be some of you that are, that are like, oh man, we we're really hoping to hear Pastor Doug today, and I totally get that. He is one of the most authentic Christians I know, and he is a high-level gifted speaker, and I love to, to listen to him and to learn from him. And, and so I understand disappointment, if you're like, oh, I was really hoping to hear him. And, and I just wanted to get a few things out of the way. There's some things that he does that I will not be doing, okay? I'm not going to have you repeat things or say things to me, okay? I, I don't do that. I, I haven't ever figured out how to do that effectively. It sounds really weird when I try it. Okay. There's a few things he says every week, and I'm not going to say those things. Okay, like Continually, he'll be like, hey, if you don't hear anything today, I want you to hear that God loves you. Okay, and, and As true as that is, and as important as to know that, I'm not going to say that today. So you can just check that off the list. Okay, For the last few weeks, when we've been in this Unleashed series, and we've been studying through Acts, he's been going, everything on our faith rises and falls on the resurrection. And again, Extremely important to know and to understand, and 100% true, but I'm not going to say it today, so you won't hear me tell you that God loves you, and you won't hear me say that everything rises and falls on the resurrection. So just, and, and I'm not going to make you say things back to me. So you can just check those off, and if you're okay with that, then we can move forward and just be done with that. Okay. So for the last, this is week five of our Unleash series. Okay, and, and we're going to keep going through Acts, and and I know we've been moving really fast. Through Acts okay because at the end of of week three we were at verse 11 and Pastor Doug said okay it's important that we make sure we we do this at the right pace so he actually backed up to verse 8 last week so in four weeks we've gone through 11 verses and then because I'm not the lead pastor he's like Rick in your half hour I need you to cover 14 verses So there's some advantages to being the lead guy. You can do one verse at a time, and I have to cover 14. So we are going to be moving today through our scripture in Acts, and we're going to cover lots of different things. We are going to be in Acts 1, verses 12, if you can uh, catch on by what I was saying there. Verses 12, and uh, we're going to go through the rest of the chapter uh, 1. And that'll be verse 26, those 14 verses. And I forgot to ask Alex if he can click along with me um, as I read this. If you're watching at home or you're here, please open your Bibles, open your phone, like for the Bible on your phone, not just to, you know, text and play games instead of listening. because um, I think God does have some great stuff for us today. Um, and if not, the screen will have the words as well. So let's go ahead and read Acts 1, 12 through 26. So then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus. I'm sure I mess up a lot of these words. uh, And Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James, which is different than the other Judas. Okay. And then uh, they were all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There uh, there he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Al-Kadim. is the field of blood. For, Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken from us, for one of these must become a witness with us for his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, also called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. To take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go to where he belongs, then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for this time. Lord, right now we just ask that the Holy Spirit take over this room and and come in here and and calm our hearts and clear our minds and open our ears so that we can hear from you and you alone, Lord. Father, if there's anything that that I've prepared that is not your message, Lord, wipe it from my memory. If there's anything I say that is not your words, Lord, let it fall on deaf ears. Father, we offer this time up to you as an act of worship, acknowledging you as our Father and our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. So one of the things you'll hear us talk about over the last two years is the importance of context and understanding what's going on. So we're going to spend a little bit of time going through the context of what was happening in those scripture that we read. And it's, it's also going to help fill you in as we keep going forward in Acts. It is very important, and we can't stress this enough to you, that, that you keep up with this series as we go. It's going to be going for a little while. Obviously, it's taken us five weeks to get through chapter one. We're going to be here for a little bit, okay? If you miss a week, it's online. Please take like 30 minutes and just keep up with the messages. Just, you know, the Parks and record, the Office, you know, streaming can be on hold for that 30 minutes, so you're up to date with what we're doing and, and where God's leading us as we go through Acts, and you can keep up with the context of what's happening, okay? Because context is extremely important. So my kids are in band, and and we go to these band competitions, and I am not musical. I mess up playing the radio. And so we go to these, these band competitions, and I think they sound good. I have no idea how they score these things. There's no scoreboard. There's no end zone. There's there's no way for me to understand. At the end, they just go, we scored this, and, you know, they, they've won a lot. Yesterday, some people from Porter Central happened to beat Matawan, Um apparently pretty soundly I didn't get to hear Porter Central play, um, but there's a few Porter Central kids here, and uh, so we'll, we'll figure that out. But I don't have the context of band. My wife, on the other hand, has been in band. Like, she went through, it all through high school, and so she understands what's going on. And she gets all excited, and people around me get all excited, and I'm like, I have no idea. Someone's in the end zone. Did they score? You know, so context is important. So we're going to look at the context of this scripture a little bit as we go through. So we're going to do a few verses as we go through. The first one, we see right off the bat, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. Okay? A Sabbath day walk from the city. There's a lot of information given that uh, Theopolis, who was the, the receiver of this letter from Luke, would have known. Okay, a lot of information in there. First, they were in Jerusalem on the hill called the Mount of Olives. Okay, this is not a small hill. It's a large hill on the eastern side of the city of Jerusalem. Okay, Scripture will tell that's where Jesus came in his triumphal entry, and it's where he will come again when he comes from the second coming from the east. So the, the Mount of Olives is a key place throughout Scripture, and it says they're there. We also know what day and of the week it is. This this kind of 24-hour period would have been sometime between sundown on Friday and sundown on Saturday. That is when the Sabbath is. Okay? So when the sun goes down. All Sabbath rules go into effect until the sun goes down again on Saturday. And that's the end of the Sabbath. It's not on Sunday like we spend our worship time. Theirs is on Saturday. And there's a list of things that you find in the Talmud that lets them know what is acceptable behavior on the Sabbath to make sure that you are not working and you are resting. Okay, we still see some of those things. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but in a lot of your appliances, you can actually put them on Sabbath mode, which allows them to prepare their food and the oven to operate in a way that that follows the rules in the Torah-following, Torah-observing cultures. Okay, so when it says a Sabbath day walk, it's letting them know you are only allowed to travel so far during the Sabbath before it's considered work. And if you were to go to Jerusalem and you go around the villages and the cities there, you'll actually see this guide wire going completely around the village. It looks like a telephone wire. And that is the Sabbath wire. And that allows them to know how far is acceptable for them to travel from the middle of the town on the Sabbath. They can't cross that line, otherwise they've broken the Sabbath and it's become work. So while the Mount of Olives is a large area, they were inside a small portion of it because it was within a Sabbath day walk. So we see all of this, just kind of let us know where this would have happened and when this would have happened, and and just based on this one verse. And then it goes on and says, they arrived when they went upstairs to the room they were staying. Now, we have heard of an upper room. You gotta remember, this is all happening in this 50 day season that is a festival season in Jewish culture. We celebrate uh, Easter and Good Friday and then Pentecost. Those are things we celebrate now, but those were actual festival times. It was the Passover and it was the Pentecost festival, at which Pentecost is 50 days. Okay? So they would have gone, and this upper room was located in actually a wealthier part of Jerusalem. So a wealthier person would have been a Christ follower and they would have offered this as a place for the disciples to come and stay while they're there for the festival. So this would have been the same space that they would have been in for the last supper and where Jesus would have met them. It would have made sense they'd gone back to the same room because they would have been in town for the entirety of the festival. So this 50-day stretch. So now we know where they went from to also where they went, and so we can kind of see they're traveling. And this is stuff that that Theopolis would have just known by reading this letter and this account. Okay, then it lists those who were present. So we had the 11 remaining disciples. And then it says we had the women and Jesus' mother and Jesus' brothers. So we kind of see who was all up in this upper room. okay. And then it says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But it says a group numbering 120. So often we see in Scripture where it talks about the number of people there. And it's often listed as the number of men. And Pastor Doug talked a little bit about that last week. And talked about your oikos, which is your household. So when it says that 5,000 men were fed, it was 5,000 households were fed. So there's this multiplier that could probably be, you know, four or five times the actual number that would have been included, because you would have had the women, the children, and the servants and the other members of the household that would have been accompanied in that number. This one actually just says a group numbering 120, which included the count for the men and the women, which signifies that in the closest following of those who weren't the disciples, there were also included women. In that mix. And Peter specifically calls that out. And so often we have this caricature of Peter is the loud, brash one. You know, the one that says, well, Jesus, don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. He's always the vocal one talking out. And this says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. And we just figure, oh, well, that's, you know, typical Peter. But in this culture, the oldest member of the group would have spoke up first. So every time we see that Peter speaks first, it's because that was his job. It was his responsibility. So it doesn't mean the others were silent. It doesn't mean the others were more timid. It doesn't mean that Peter was a jerk who always wanted to hear his own voice. It just meant that Peter was the oldest. So he would have to speak first. And that was his role as a part of the group. So those are things we learn through here. So we kind of see that, that there's this large group of 120. And we often just picture Jesus walking around with his 12 buddies going through and doing all of the miraculous things that were done. But there were tiers of people that followed him. So Jesus was a rabbi, and and in the rabbinical system, he would have had his disciples, which were the 12, who he said, come and follow me, which was a really important statement to make. But then there were also people who followed because they wanted to learn from the teaching of Jesus he was their rabbi, and they followed him because he was teaching them, although they weren't in the rabbinical track that the disciples would have officially been on as far as learning and potentially becoming rabbis themselves. They were just followers, and that's part of this group of 120 that were there. They still followed Jesus around. They still helped with the ministry. They still had roles in all of this. They just weren't one of the 12. 12. They were followers. They were part of the way. So we we see all this through this scripture. And then we go on to a remez. And last week, Pastor Doug talked about the remez of, of it is something that is said or something that is heard that triggers a memory from something they would have learned. And Peter talks about the Holy Spirit spoke through David many years ago. So he was referring back to their their song book, the psalm, where David was passing down information and prophecy through this and foretold some of the events with Judas as well as the events of Jesus' crucifixion and said, okay, Judas is going to do these things and this place is going to be left, but then you have to replace a number. So when Peter would have started saying this, everyone would have gone, oh, yeah, it's psalms. David said this, and it would have made sense to all of them because it triggered something. Things that we know that we have this context of, it's the same with them. So it would have been triggered, and they would have been like, oh, yeah, we have to add somebody. It's what we have to do. It was told by us years and years and years ago that we have to add someone to what's going on. So we see, therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time Jesus was living among us, and that's an important part the whole time. It talks about beginning from John's baptism. This wouldn't have been the baptism of John the Baptist, but the baptism of Jesus in this three-year ministry that would have started out that they needed someone. He wasn't a disciple, but he was part of this group that followed, and he was there for all of the events. They would have someone that, that would have been of good character, someone who was active in the ministry, someone who would have been like, yes, this guy makes sense. He can do the things and say the things that we can say. So it goes up from the time of the start of Jesus' ministry to the time where he was up in the ascension. So he was there for all of those moments. He was a follower of Jesus. He said, so they can become a witness with us of his resurrection. witness of his resurrection. You see, there's something valuable about being able to say you were there. There's something important about, about how you can talk about something in the way that you have an experience that others don't have. What are the things that you have been a witness to? Last night I was a witness to my kids' band performance and they played Phenomenal. They played really, really well. They got their highest score of the season, and they did well. And, and although I don't have a lot of context, I can tell you things that happened. I can tell you they added some new steps and some new parts to the song, and, and I can speak to that. I've been to sporting events that have been amazing. They ended with great plays, and I have an excitement and an understanding about those that I can talk about. I was talking with someone earlier this week, and, and I, I mentioned the fact that I'd been at their wedding and we talked about some of the, the things that happened at the wedding. Because I was a witness to that event, and I could speak to it personally. There's so many events. Like recently I, I was thinking about my oldest nephew's birth. And, and how we all hung out in the hospital, and that was 20 years ago, a few weeks ago. And, and just we all still have these memories, and they're fresh. And, and we have this connection because we were a witness to it because see when you're a witness to something you can talk about it more passionately you can you can tell people the story better in a way that they want to hear it the way they want to understand it the way that they'll believe it because you have an understanding and a passion because you were there and so that's what they're looking for because we've all heard someone try to retell a joke haven't we it's not the same. Like when I've tried to, to tell someone else's jokes and I, I love comedy and I think there's, there's a huge gift in being able to convey a story in a way that draws you in and, and calmly moves you towards the setup and then hits you with the punchline that just makes you just roll over laughing. There's a gift to that. But when you try to tell that to your friend and how you've heard it, that is one of the blessings of YouTube. you can be like, let, let me just let this guy say it because he does it so much better. See, in my opinion, the gold standard of comedy, there will never be anything as funny ever written and ever produced and ever performed as funny as Avant Costello's Who's On First. It's just, it, it cannot be topped. In fact, in my office, I have this giant poster that has the entire Who's on First script. It was a a store sales poster when they released the audio and the book that had the entire script and photos from Abbott and Costello. And a few years ago, Jerry Seinfeld, a gifted comedian, and Jimmy Fallon, another gifted comedian, they were going to pay tribute to Abbott and Costello, and they performed Who's on First. And these guys should be able to pull this off. But it was horrible. You can't be Bud Abbott and Costello because they're them. They witnessed the writing and the practice and the timing and the performing. They drew you into the story because there was something about being there that can't be repeated. And there's so many things like that in our life so many things that we're a witness to another person that would have been a witness to everything going on is the Apostle John and he wrote some letters and he wrote some letters to, to some churches that were that were getting inundated with false prophets. And so he wrote First John to kind of warn them and say, hey guys, don't listen to what they're saying because it contradicts what Jesus said and what we're telling you. And he starts off by saying, I'm a witness. You can trust the words I say. And this is one of my favorite pieces of scripture, hands down. Because he starts, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, and, or, and with our hands we have touched This we proclaim concerning the word of life. John said, don't listen to those other fools. I was there. I was a witness. I was there when Jesus fed the 5,000 households. I was there when he calmed the sea. was there when he hung on the cross. I was there when he got up. And I was there when he commissioned us and ascended. So the things I tell you are different. The things I tell you are of greater value because I experienced it. I've seen it. I've touched it. I've heard it. I've lived it. The value of witness is on Yet here we are. We don't have the ability to fit the qualifications that were set on Acts. And and as far as what John was talking about and saying, I was there with Jesus, we, we can't. But we are still witnesses. We still have God moving in significant ways in our own life. And I remember I, about you know ten years ago, someone would have came up to me and said, "Oh, you know, I heard God speak to me." And I would have thought, "Really? Really, God spoke to you? Like, was it a giant hand that came out and wrote on the wall? Was it a still small voice? Was it a loud booming voice from a mountain? Wasn't it a thunder and lightning?" I didn't understand, and and to be honest with you, it's probably because I wasn't listening. But ten years ago, through this really difficult season of my life, I remember God spoke to me, and I heard him for the first time, and it turned my world upside down, and he said, Rick, I understand that this season is difficult, and you had a plan, but I have something different for you. I've designed you for something different, and and I remember that moment, and I remember the exact place, the exact time, what was going on, who was around me, what I was feeling, what I did next at the moment that, that I felt God say, Rick, I, I've called you into ministry. And I said, okay, God, I'll do that. Because all of a I became a witness to what God is doing in real time in my life. And God is doing real time things in your life. And you are a witness to that. So as we wrap up today and and we're going to move into our three questions that I really want you to pray over and consider throughout the week. The first one is, how has God impacted your life? How is God impacting your life? What are you a witness to that God is doing? spend some time. And some of you may be going, you know what, Rick, I, I'm not even sure I I believe everything you're saying about who God is and, and who Jesus is and the fact that he died and, and rose again and ascended and and i'm not sure i I believe that that god created everything from nothing and that his love was so great for me that that he set forth everything we read in scripture i'm not sure i believe that and i'm gonna say i'm okay with that but that doesn't change the fact that god is moving in your life and if you stop And you pray and you say, God, make yourself real to me. Show me the things you're doing in my life. Let me be a witness to your movement that God will not step forth and God will not make himself real to you in new and exciting ways. So again, church, how is God impacting your life right now, real time? What are you a witness to? And some of you may believe everything that Scripture says. And be like me and go, I believe it, but I don't feel it. I didn't feel it because I wasn't listening. I didn't feel it because I wasn't looking for it. I doesn't didn't feel it because I wasn't interested in being a witness. And so often that's our stance. So often it's, I, I want to come to church. I want to see the people I like. I want to sing the songs I like. I'll even sing the songs I don't like. And I want to do this and check this off my list. And But when we talk about the Holy Spirit really being unleashed in our life and moving in, in a dramatic way and, and making us a witness for what God is doing, are we open to that? Is that what we're signing up for? Because it's happening whether you're willing to acknowledge it or see it. Second question I have for you, does your life bear witness to what God has done? And I know that's easy for me to say standing here because right now I'm being recorded and I'm going to be out on the internet and you could say, oh yeah, Rick, you know, your life, it's easy. You can like span the globe and with, with what it is and, and that's true, but this is a small segment of my time. This is a small piece. There is far more times I'm at the gas station or the grocery store. There's far more time that I'm interacting with my children. There's more time where I'm interacting with the friends of my children where I'm interacting with their their school teachers and administrators. And, and I'm interacting with other businesses and town and people that even come into the church, whether they're fixing our heating and cooling or or helping you know, mow our grass and, and do our fertilizer, all the people we come in contact with that is far more impactful than this time I have standing inside this box that could be broadcast everywhere. My life needs to bear witness to what God is doing and what God has done in my life, and that can't just be here, because you can't just be here. You have your impact. Church, does your life bear witness to what God is doing are you a witness and do people see it see the last question I have for you is a a difficult one if you see what God is doing in your life your life will bear witness to something so church I want you to consider this throughout the week are you moving people closer to God You know, there's the, the police song, Every Step You Take, or Every Breath You Take, Every Step You Make, something like that. I'm not an 80s music fan. Every breath you take is bearing witness. Every breath you take is moving people closer to God or further away. There's no neutral. There's no moot point. Everything you do matters. Every conversation you have with someone will either move them closer or further away. Because everything you do, people watch. People watch because you're interacting directly with them. People watch because they see you from a sideline. People watch because you are always being watched. I can tell you for a fact, your views on how we have to handle COVID situations now will have very little impact on the, on the kingdom, but everything you do in response to that has massive impact on the kingdom. Your political views will not move people closer to the kingdom. How you handle your political views will have massive impact in how people view God and see God move in your own life. You are a witness, church. God is doing things in your life. He is reaching people through your life, whether you're willing to accept that or not. And you get to choose whether you want to move people closer to the kingdom or further away with every single move you make. And that's a heavy burden. To know that everything I type and send out on an email and social media has an eternal burden. Impact. Every single interaction with a stressed out worker has an eternal impact. The way I drive has an eternal impact. But, church, those moments where people who observe you from afar, who don't even know watch, when they come up to you and say, hey, can we sit down for a minute? I see how you handle things in your life, and I'm going through a season, and I just need to talk to someone, and you seem like you got something going. The burden becomes worthwhile. Those moments where where someone just comes up to you and and maybe they're not a believer at all, but they just say, hey, would you mind praying for me? Would you mind praying for a family member? Because there's something about the way you go about your life that makes me believe you have a connection to something far bigger than me. You're bearing witness. And isn't that what disciples do? See, Lighthouse Community Church will know God and show God by making disciples of Jesus Christ, by connecting people to God, community, and purpose. You are a disciple. As a disciple, we will bear witness to what God is doing real time in our lives. And that is the only way we get to impact the 61% of Kalamazoo that doesn't understand who God is and how much he loves them. So, church, are your actions helping make that number 60 percent or 62 percent? Because it matters. Everything we do matters. See, at some point we get to we get to go back to this verse. And it says that which is from the beginning. From the moment I realize how much God loves me and he is impacting my life and doing things in me and through me and to me, from that moment, from the moment I heard, from the moment that I seen and felt and touched God in my own life, from that moment, I can speak through my actions and through my words and through my love because I know that God is real because I know because he's real in my life. Church, We are witnesses.